Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. 420 here in the Kiva, AM 1600 KIVA, 93.7 FM with my good friend, John Block. He's the conservative opinion writer looking for your opinions at Pinon Post, PinonPost.com. John Block, good afternoon, sir. Thank you so much for being here and uh, for all the great work that you do on behalf of good conservatives here in the state of New Mexico. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's jump right into it, shall we? I always love uh, digging into the Pinion Post, especially on a Friday. I feel like I'm I'm getting an extra layer of uh, of, of good meat, uh, if you will. And uh, first day, hey, it's voting. We've got uh, early voting starting and beginning tomorrow, and and, and it's safe. <laughs> Show up to the polls, uh, despite what uh, uh, further edicts and threats and enhancements that have been uh, pushed forth by the government. Uh, you know, you do a, a nice write-up here in talking about the uh, fear-mongering that's been going on uh, with the COVID infections and how we're all going to catch it. Exactly, and we saw how uh, MLG yesterday in her press conference really did all the fear-mongering she possibly could, telling people, go vote and get get your absentee ballot and hide in your basement, and we might have to lock up the state again. But really, if you look at what the Secretary of State has said, as well as many county clerks, it is very safe to go voting. And uh, actually, Bernalillo County clerk Linda Stover, she said that it's probably one of the safest places to go in town when you go vote. <laughs> so listen to Linda Stover, the, the county clerk of the largest county in our state, who says it's very safe. Linda Stover, she's got her finger on the pulse here in uh, Bernalillo County. It's one of the safest places you can go. Uh, did you see the portion? I know you caught this when uh, Dr. Disgrace was talking about... Um, and the only thing that could be worse than 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 you not uh, you know abiding by these things that we're asking you to do is to not vote. Like it was a dog whistle directly to telling people that they needed to show up to vote against Donald Trump. Yeah, it was like a tiny little MLG rally for Democrats to make sure they got out to the polls or. By polls, she means order your absentee ballot and hide in your basement because, God forbid, what's going to happen to you? And actually, yesterday, Senator Tom Udall went in person to go voting. So if Tom Udall is going in person to vote, you sure as heck can get out there to the polls in person if you can. How the heck do you know so much? Do you, do you send somebody to follow around Tom Udall? Like, How did you know he voted in person? He tweeted about it. Oh, there we go. There, see, you're always on top of that. You'll you'll catch him on the tweet. Those are the tweets that do get out. Uh, but but apparently, you know, when it comes to the Scully tweet, and I have to ask you about this, uh, when that came across uh, your uh, tweet line, and you were tracking that stuff on Scully lying about the fact that, uh, oh yeah, someone broke into my Twitter account and. Yeah, that thing with Scaramucci, that's not real. I didn't really have a conversation about it. And then C-SPAN decided to go ahead and relieve him of his responsibilities. That's got to be a big victory for us conservatives, just showing how incredibly, um, without any sort of ethics or morals, uh, those Democrats can be in order to create a story. Scully got caught red-handed and admitted to it. He sure did. And he really took down the credibility of a once very credible C-SPAN, which, you know, I like to watch C-SPAN because they don't really filter much. But, you know, yesterday, Twitter, they just totally closed down the platform once hashtag crooked Joe Biden started started uh, being a trend. So I would just say, <laughs> look at your sources, guys. And if they say that they got hacked, 
they probably didn't. Yeah, I guess we should uh, believe all the, uh, or I, I guess all the Hunter Biden stuff that they say is a lie. Uh, that pretty much uh, validates that it is uh, the truth. So get yeah. out, vote, folks. Uh, trust me, this is a battle against uh, good and evil. And speaking of evil, and uh, I just want to commend you on you sticking your neck out uh, beyond uh, just doing the work at the Pinion Post, John, uh, to to really try and get that obelisk, uh, which has been uh, toppled. And talk about a bad start to the week. This happened on Monday. Yeah, it was it was a very terrible thing that happened in, in Santa Fe. There were a bunch of anarchists, presumably from the hate groups, the Red Nation and the Three Sisters Collective, and they totally desecrated and toppled down the obelisk in downtown Santa Fe in the plaza, which has been there for over 152 years. And this historic landmark was desecrated on Columbus Day in supposed hatred for Christopher Columbus coming to the Americas. And these people completely just, they live-streamed every single thing that they did. Really? So we can see what they did, how they did it, and who was involved. And the Santa Fe Police Department refused to intervene. They began to intervene at the beginning of the protest that day, but then they dispersed after a mob came at them. They didn't call for reinforcements. They just completely put their hands up and let them desecrate this 152-year-old obelisk, which is there to represent the Union soldiers that fought against the Confederacy and helped end slavery. So that's exactly what they're doing, and I guess these people are in support of slavery, it, it appears. And, uh, you see that the news provided absolutely zero context. Uh, they covered the event. They didn't say what the... Uh, the reason why, as you just plainly uh, noted, exactly what the obelisk uh, represented, and and these people effectively, you know, are on the side of the Confederacy because that's the uh, monument that they got rid of in the middle of the town square up in Santa Fe Plaza. They did, and on the there was a transcription on the side of the obelisk, and it was chipped away back in the 70s, and it referred to Native Americans as savages. And back in the 70s, that was ripped down. So this has not been controversial since then until recent history when this this race war, it appears, to be restarting uh, between these quote-unquote indigenous activists and uh, inanimate objects, <laughs> i.e. this statue. And they've tried to desecrate uh, the DeVargas statue in the plaza or in the, the Cathedral Park in Santa Fe. But the mayor, he took it away and he's hiding DeVargas. So they have been winning this battle, it appears. And now there has been a lot of backlash and potentially recalling Mayor Weber for this uh, this dereliction of duty because he did not help help end the crisis. He didn't bring in anyone to stop these people from desecrating these beautiful landmarks that are a symbol of our heritage. And now he's really facing a lot of backlash. Uh, let's talk to, just for a moment in terms of the comparisons of the Oñate statue uh, back in uh, early in late June uh, versus what happened uh, right here. This is sort of the same MO. And you see Mayor Weber uh, deciding to go ahead and, you know, not employed the police uh, to prevent this from happening. I mean, it was only slight. They weren't protecting public property. Uh, the same thing happened uh, back in, in June. And both Weber as well as Tim Keller uh, enjoyed the fact that they got to, a chance to take down some of these 
monuments and uh, really sort of appease the progressives on the left. Exactly. And uh, Mayor Weber, he has been pontificating about how he is starting a quote-unquote truth and reconciliation commission to start having conversations about the removal of these statues. But while he has been stalling on this failure of an initiative, he has also allowed these statues and these other landmarks to be desecrated by anarchists and many of these groups that presumably have done these deeds, they've also applauded um, the other desecration of these landmarks before. So there is a pattern here, and we need to connect the dots. And also, I would like to note that there was a vandalism of the India Palace, which is a restaurant in Santa Fe, and they wrote a bunch of racist terms on the walls there. And this was back, I believe, in June. And it was around the same time that the obelisk was first desecrated by these anarchists. So these people are probably the same people. And also, if you're showing this obelisk, which is against the Confederacy and against slavery, these racists are probably the ones responsible for both events, which makes it even more dire to find these people, round them up, and charge them. Well, I want to bring up one more thing. I'm so glad that you said both of those events and the types of people who were involved with taking it down, because this is organized and likely organized by people outside. But, uh, you know, I, I know I talk with Dowd oftentimes about this because we're still waiting for this to come out. And we remember, of course, Jesse Smollett. And, but the India Palace, uh, have they come to any sort of conclusion about what happened over there as they were using the N-words and it was all white supremacists who were attacking the India Palace? I seem to see some sort of parallels between what happened in in Santa Fe, and also what happened in the Indian Palace. I think that that was a, a fake hate crime that was staged. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that you are spot on there. And it really shows that there's no new developments in the India Palace case. There was a giant fundraiser for this, uh, this restaurant, and they raised a lot of money to help rebuild, which is great. But we haven't heard any answers from the Santa Fe police department or any other law enforcement entity and it really raises a lot more questions than answers and it very well could have been staged and who knows it could have been part of this uh, radical group's plot to to try to blame white supremacists there you go for this racism yeah yeah you nailed it uh, john block can be found at pinonpost.com he's got some merch there as well i just like saying merch because it makes me like 20 years younger or something um the Santa Fe mayor is pretty embroiled in 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 uh, now possibly uh, being recalled. There's a group of people, uh, you know, you you saw three years ago, I want to say, that they got rid of La Entrada, celebrating uh, La Entrada, uh, which was happening in the square. I remember I used to go there. Uh, the Hispanic uh, Heritage Market, uh, Hispanic um, uh, Art Fest was canceled, as was the Indian Market and the rest of the things uh, up there. In Santa Fe, but I got to say that I think this has got some legs on the even of an election year in uh, 2021 for Mayor Weber uh, possibly getting recalled. This is, uh, uh, I think, the start of that. 
It is. I really do think it is. And he doesn't have very much support, even from people on the left. I know many unions have been voting uh, no confidence on Mayor Weber. And then on the right and other people, we just don't like him because he is allowing the desecration of monuments. He is a weak leader who says he wants to fix things and wants to bring people together, but never really does. And even people that are sitting on the city council have gone after him for his lack of leadership and total weakness in response to all of these these newsworthy and very actionable items that have been happening, especially the desecration of that obelisk. So he is not very popular. And you saw that a group, I think it was in the Santa Fe, New Mexican today, it showed a group maybe forming a recall petition on Mayor Weber right. to take him out of office because of his lack of leadership. Yeah, I certainly hope that that uh, works itself out and. uh Certainly does happen. Let's go down south, uh, Senator Steinborn. Uh, some, uh, I got to say, your investigative reporting is uh, really stepping up there, John. We're getting some uh, interesting things that are coming my way, and uh, uh, thing people should be paying attention at PinoPost.com. But uh, according to an ethics panel letter, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, State Senator Steinborn very likely engaged in uh, sexual harassment. Uh, I know that uh, every seat is, is available, but this has got to impact his chances as well. Yeah, it was actually a very interesting article, a lot of research that went into it, because we reached out to both this woman who was listed on this letter, it's a 2018 letter or 19 letter from the House Legislative Ethics Committee or subcommittee, and it showed that there was potential uh, sexual harassment from Senator Steinborn in 2014, and this was found while they were investigating then-Representative Carl Trujillo under the same woman who claimed that, that he sexually harassed her. And he was cleared of those charges, but they, they recommended this, uh, this investigation into Senator Steinborn. And so on a partisan vote, the House and Senate leadership rejected the investigation into Steinborn. So it didn't necessarily clear him. It just rejected an investigation. And so I reached out to this woman who claimed these things in her depositions in 2018. And she claims that it never happened, even though there are three different depositions that show evidence of Senator Steinborn uh, potentially sexually assaulting her. So now she claims it didn't happen. And then Senator Steinborn also claims it didn't happen. So it's a very, a, a lot of really interesting details. I know it's very complex. So if you check it out, just go to opinionpost.com. Check out, check out the entire article. It's a very objective article that just shows facts and full statements from both sides and make, make, uh, you know, conclusions for yourself. But it is, something to think about. It's, it's a matter of public interest, and I think the voters would be very well inclined to go look at this and make conclusions for themselves, since there was no investigation. You know, if this stuff uh, was going on and someone filed a report and this information is already out there, <laughs> that just shows you that they're willing to do anything to remain elected. It even goes so far as to say, oh, no, 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 I don't mean it, but I'll refile after he gets reelected. I I really feel like there's that type of uh, angle, John. I mean, people will do anything in an election uh, year, just like anybody will do anything uh, from the left to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't become president. 
You're right. And you saw how they went after all those conservative-leaning Democrats in the primary, and that's exactly what they did to Carl Trujillo. They threw this allegation out there at him, and then he had to defend himself, and by the time he was able to clear his name, the election was over and he lost his primary. Same thing happening here, uh, but this gentleman, uh, Senator Steinborn, he is a party favorite and a, a close friend of of Representative Egoff, who is now the Speaker of the House. So you see that he does have a buffer and he does have protection from the party leadership, which may be a reason why That's they rejected the on story. a party line vote. That's yeah. the real story right there is just uh, yeah. how much they're going to allow the uh, corruption uh, to persist. As a follow-up, since we're bringing up uh, Egoff and uh, he is up for re-election, though he'll likely win uh, pretty easily, do we know or come to know anything more about um, his taxes, uh with regard, I, I believe he has some sort of lien against him? He did. I think it was about $10,000 in a lien. And from my understanding, he paid that off. But he has not really put any other statements out there. Progress Now, the far-left extremist socialist group, they've been talking about it, saying, oh, it's just smoke and mirrors. But really, this is a true lien that he did have against him. He said he forgot about it. I mean, I wish I was as wealthy as he is to just forget about $10,000 in taxes I, I couldn't pay. But that's not a reality for most people in New Mexico. But he's so not so show. wealthy as to not request the money directly from the federal government, if I'm not mistaken. Taken, uh, John, I believe that he requested uh, bailout money from the federal government during the pandemic. He did for multiple companies that he owned. He he requested tens of that or hundreds of thousands of dollars in federal CARES Act money to help him uh, in those PPP loans. So you you see that there is this this conflict where he's not paying his taxes and then finally paying his taxes while his businesses he's asking for this uh, government money to help uh, buffer those businesses. So which side is he on? I am not really sure. Well, it's there's really no side there. So let's see. You're not paying your, your taxes, but you're requesting money from the very uh, uh, agency or the very government that you owe those taxes to, but business is down. But it's not down enough insofar so you can't pay your taxes. Precisely. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense at all. I'm trying to watch. And, uh, I'm trying to figure out how that money's moving there with uh, Mr. Uh, Brian Egoff. So I think people should pay attention to that, especially when we're all uh, starved for resources in this uh, pandemic or pandemic world. Uh, let's go back to the destruction of more property. Uh, I think there's a, it's really whet the appetite for these anarchists and these progressive leftists, uh, uh, John as uh, they didn't just go after the obelisk, they went after a, another uh, landmark in Santa Fe. They did. They went after the Cross of the Martyrs in Santa Fe. And if anyone has been to Santa Fe, it's on this hill, and you can see this big white cross very close to the Capitol. And so the anarchists painted the words land back on the, the side of the, of the, um, the monument, and so people have been going on Facebook and sharing their concerns about how disrespectful this is because this cross of the martyrs was erected uh, to honor the 21 Franciscan friars who were brutally murdered during Pope's rebellion in 1680 in the Pueblo Revolt. And during that revolt, 400 people were murdered by this terrorist. And so now uh, these it seems like these people are terrorists in our current 
day and age, they are going after these landmarks, not wanting to have a civil discussion, but they are writing and tagging on them and desecrating these places where people go to pray and honor the repose of the soul of those 21 Franciscan friars who died as martyrs in 1680. Well, uh, John, nobody covered that. Exactly zero people covered that uh, in any of the mainstream media. There wasn't one article, one person saying uh, any of that. I just want to Again, thank you for stepping outside. You do so much more than journalism, and I, I honestly respect you. I love, well, you know, one, uh, just the fact that you're constantly on this, and, you know, you're not an activist. I would suggest that uh, you're, you're a guy who pays attention to detail and wants the news to focus on other things, and uh, kudos to you for getting that one uh, article on uh, Mr. Montoya, um, Joe Savage, uh, and uh, getting uh, people pay attention because that was the most read article in the Santa Fe, New Mexican last week. I'm not sure if you caught that or not, but that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you in the Pinion Post and what you're doing. So that is good work. And, and again, bringing this uh, type of story uh, to our attention as well. Finally, let's go, go see Miss Deb Holland. Uh, she's so confident that she's going to win this time around that she's running for spots up on Capitol Hill. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so that is actually very surprising to me to see Deb Holland not only be very confident about her re-election, but want to get the number six spot on the Democrat side in the House in leadership. She wants to be the vice chairwoman of the caucus, and that is a pretty big position that takes years and years traditionally for people to get to and ascend to. So I guess in her second term, which she's already essentially given to herself, she is running for this vice chairwoman position to be the vice chair of her caucus. And so she will be right under Nancy Pelosi. It's essentially just going to be like Benny Boy Lujan in his, uh, his assistant speaker role. It's a, it's a few rungs down there from him. But really, she is uh, essentially using whatever cards are in her deck to get there. And she's also going up against very powerful representatives. But she might be a party favorite. I don't know if there was a deal made possibly with Ben Ray Lujan to get her there. We really don't know. But it shows her confidence in her race, and uh, hopefully Michelle Lujan Grisham, or I'm so sorry, uh, Michelle <laughs> Garcia Holmes, can use this against her in, in the general. Don't worry, we all do it. Uh, the three names and then the first name Michelle, it's uh, hard not to do that. What, what, what are we going to say? It just about? rolls off the tongue because I'm always going after MLG here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John. Hey, uh, you got some merchandise. Uh, very quickly, a uh, quick plug for the Pinion Post. Yeah, so opinionpost.com, check out our merchandise store. We have so many Turn New Mexico Red merchandise that you can check out, mugs, masks, T-shirts, all kinds of awesome stuff. And we really appreciate your viewership and your readership, and we are always here to help. Feel free to send any tips to john at opinionpost.com. Send your letters and op-eds there, and we're happy to help you. All right. Have a great day. Hey, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks uh, for all the work that you do. If I don't talk to you next Friday, or I mean, if I don't talk to you before next Friday, have a great week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. More great talk when we return here on a Friday afternoon here in the Kiva.